As the church recognizes the arrival of Christ into our world, uh, we hear the reading of the prophet Zechariah, a foretelling of the great Palm Sunday entrance of our Lord. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. These are your words, Heavenly Father. They are your truth. We pray that you would increase our faith through them. Amen. Please be seated. It was quite a spectacle, one of the greatest events in European history. I'll just read to you some statistics from it. There had been a special carriage made just for this, decorated with jewelry. It was drawn by eight beautiful horses. There were two completely full orchestras with over 300 musicians, and 400 voice choir was in the background of all of that. On the shoulders of the one who was being coronated, there was a special mantle made for this individual to wear that weighed 80 pounds, decorated with jewelry. There was a hot air balloon above all of this that rose off of the steps of Notre Dame Cathedral. The entire ceremony for this coronation was said to cost between 150 and 200 million dollars in today's money for this one event. And on that day, Napoleon Bonaparte took the crown from the hand of the Pope and pulled it away and put it on his own head. In many ways, Napoleon has come to epitomize the self-centeredness and self-servingness of, of many earthly rulers. He could not be any different from our Lord Jesus. He could not be any different from the great King of Heaven who comes into this world on our behalf and makes such a lowly entrance that we just read about in the book of the prophet Zechariah. As he comes into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday, there's no special carriage for him. He's riding on the back of a donkey. On his shoulders that week will not be draped some beautiful jewelry and so on, but rather the whip marks and the little glistening of his own blood dripping from him. The music that will be heard is not some great beautiful orchestra, but it'll be the chants of people crucify him, yelling out in the streets. In the sky up above him, there won't be any great grandeur. In fact, as he dies, there will be nothing but pitch darkness that will cover the entire earth. And his hands can't grab anything because they're bound at first and then with nails driven into wood and pierced. And his crowning takes place with a crown of thorns by a group of soldiers making fun of him. Our Lord came into this world in a very humble way and demonstrated right away that his kingship was not at all about him. His kingship was about you. The whole purpose of his kingship was you. In fact, he once said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. But camouflaged in this meekness and lowliness, camouflaged in what the world would consider a loser, is the great King of glory, the King of heaven. And that's why the prophet says to us, to the church, to the believers, rejoice, O daughter of Zion. 
So why is it necessary for the king of heaven, the second person of the Trinity, why is it necessary for him to clothe himself in our human flesh and come into this world for us? Why, what does his arrival say about you and me and our earthly situation? About three or four years ago, there was a female photographer over in Germany that decided to go around and look at all of the different jail cells of people, in prison cells of people in Germany that were incarcerated for the longest amounts of time. And she made an entire book of these photographs and photographed the interior of their cells and looked at the beautiful paintings some of them had on the walls and posters and things that they thought were important to them and, and kind of showed the artwork that these prisoners had inside of their walls. And many of the prisoners, as she, as she interviewed them, seemed kind of happy with and pleased with what their, what their cells looked like, despite the fact that they're in prison. You know, our lives here in this world can be full of some joy and happiness. There's some really nice stuff around us. We have wonderful people around us, and we eat good food, and, and we can do a lot of fun things, and we're blessed with many things, but we're still in prison. We're still in a prison of this world that has death in front of us. We're still in a prison of our own sinfulness and our own wickedness that would have kept us away from God forever. That's why the Savior had to come, to get us out of our prison cell. Sometimes we, we can get so enamored with how nice the world is that we're living in that we can forget what we really are in here and that this really is a prison. But Christ has come to, to get us out of this, to take us out of this and out of this, this horrible condition that is facing us. Napoleon intentionally upheld laws of slavery for the French colonies. But the Son of God from heaven, he comes the prisoners to release. He has come to release you and me from the prison in this world that would hold us. And, and not only does he himself come in humility, but the humility of his kingdom, the lowliness of his kingdom, also applies to the subjects who are in his kingdom. They approach him with, with penitent hearts. They're aware of their sinfulness. They recognize how badly, how desperately they need a savior. They have a longing for his mercy and compassion to take care of them. And the way he wants to be received by his subjects is by having them realize how desperately they need him through the process of repentance and acknowledging your mortality as well. King David wrote, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God. These you will not despise. That's what this king is looking for when he comes and looks for his subjects in this world. Those who realize how badly they need the work he has come to do for them on the cross. And his subjects are the only ones who are able to see him through the eyes of faith to be able to look at this lowly criminal who gets crucified and stuck into a grave and see in him God, and to see in him God's grace and compassion. In the same way that Jesus hides himself in the lowliness of the manger of Bethlehem and in the lowliness of not owning any property, the lowliness of not having a place to lay his head, the lowliness of just wandering around with some fishermen being a carpenter's son, all of that, and then ultimately dying the death of a criminal. 
Along with all of that, he still comes to us today in very lowly means and ways. Just water and some words, bread and wine with some words, little pastors that stand up and preach to us and, and read to us from an old book. Things that the world thinks are irrelevant and meaningless, and yet through all of this comes the grace of heaven. Through all of this comes the majesty, the majesty of heaven to ultimately bring us out of our graves. St. Paul said to the Corinthians, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. Napoleon was finally exiled to a little island off the coast of Africa. And history has not treated Napoleon very well. In fact, there's a complex named after him, Napoleon Complex. It's considered a very negative thing. Christ, on the other hand, is taken by our Heavenly Father and exalted to his eternal throne into the great grandeur of heaven where he wants you to come and join him someday. And as we will sing, heaven's eternal arches ring with his beloved name. Amen. <laughs>